We are in the middle of a series called Do Over because we genuinely believe that God is a God of do-overs. He's a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. God is a God who uh, gives us fresh starts, doesn't he? And the longer you walk with God, the more you realize uh, how much you need him. Uh, Like we sang that song, Lord, I need you. Uh, We need God and we need help and we need those second and third and fourth and fifth chances uh, because we, in our human flesh, we fail and we struggle, as we said. And in this process of working through uh, just an understanding of who God is and his grace and his mercy and and talking about God as a God of of do-overs, we looked at a couple of stories the last two weeks. Uh, One, the story of a woman caught in adultery. Some of you guys may remember that story as one where uh, there's a woman who's caught in adultery. She's brought into a crowd of these uh, religious leaders and they take basically uh, this, this woman, they throw her out there and they say, look, this woman, she's committed adultery. And by the way, at that point, I'm thinking, where's the man, right? They're just throwing the woman out there. And she's, she's in the middle of this intimidating situation. And he's saying, this woman's caught in adultery. Jesus, should we, should we stone her or not? And so uh, we talked about how that they put him in this trap. And yet he answered it so wisely and so graciously. And how he basically led them to understand that, look, uh, if you don't have a sin, you throw the first stone. And the only person in that situation that could have thrown, this, uh, thrown a stone at this woman was, was who? Jesus. He was the only one. He was the only one sinless. He was the only one perfect. And yet he chooses not to throw the stone at her. I don't know what's going on. I'm seeing lights popping up around me. Anybody else seeing that? Okay. All right. Um, so basically, at this point, we talked about how that God is a God who doesn't condemn when he could. But he, he's a God of grace and mercy who restores and he brings us uh, into a relationship with him. And in fact, he even says to this woman who's caught in adultery, she's sinned, she's in the wrong. And he says, listen, they, uh, I, don't, I don't condemn you, but he says, go and sin no more, right? That when God frees us and when he, uh, when he is saying to us, you're forgiven, he is not saying go back into the same sin. He's saying you're free to now lo- no longer walk in that sin, Right? Last week we looked at a story, it's a very common uh, story, probably some of you guys sang songs about it, about Zacchaeus, and we talked about how that he was this hated man by his own people because he betrayed them, uh, because he had stolen from them, and Jesus comes to his sycamore tree that Zacchaeus has climbed up in, and he says, I want to come and I want to hang out at your house. And even though you've done these things, and even though you have all these enemies, I want to hang out with you. And so we talked about how that here's Zacchaeus, who is this hated, traitorous man, and yet Jesus gives him a fresh start. He gives him a second chance. And we talked about how that, again, with Zacchaeus, just as the woman caught in adultery, that there's life change when we experience the grace of God. In fact, he says to, uh, to him, you know, I, I want to hang out with you. Zacchaeus comes down the tree, and he just repents, and it's radical. He, uh, he basically says, I'm going to give away half of what I own to the poor, and he's going to give four times back to those that he's taken from. So this incredible transformation because grace changes us, doesn't it? God's goodness and his grace changes us. It's the most transformative thing that we experience and encounter in our lives. So today we're actually going to look at a little bit different story, um, a little bit different flavor, because we're going to look at a story of not someone who was in adultery or not someone who was uh, the hated uh, tax collector. We're going to look at one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, one of his most famous disciples, uh, the, the disciple Peter. So if you have your Bible, I want to ask you to go ahead and pull it out. We're going to look at Luke, I mean, I'm sorry, John chapter 21. We're going to look at John chapter 21. And I want to read uh, a little bit of the, the scene from, from John 
where, where we see uh, Peter being restored to Jesus, okay? This relationship with him has been broken. And we're going to see this restoration of a relationship. And then we're going to kind of work our way back to the front of the story of Peter and, and see how that, while he's been restored, what helps us understand the power of this moment is to, to recognize the story of Peter, okay? So, how many of you, just, just in the front end, how many of you guys would say in your life right now you need a do-over in some area of your life, right? And so you need a fresh start, okay? Um, good, I just want to make sure I'm not the only one in the room that needs that, okay? Let's look in John chapter 21 and read this with me, verse 15. And, and just so you have context here, because I can't read all of it for time's sake, um, we find in this story that Jesus has been resurrected from the grave. He came out of the grave. He's alive and well, and now he's revealing himself to uh, the disciples and other believers, and he shows up on the shore when the, 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 some of the disciples, seven of them to be exact, are out in this boat, and they're doing what they had done before they got called to be Jesus' disciples, which was what? Fishing, okay? So not all of them were fishermen, but seven of them here are in the boat, and they're out here, and they're fishing. And Peter is one of them. And Jesus is on the shore, and it says that Jesus hollers out to them, and he says, hey, have you caught anything? Of course, he knows they haven't caught anything. And he says, take your nets and throw them on the other side. And they're like, okay, we'll do that. So they throw them on the other side, and it says they catch such a great haul of fish that their boat's literally starting to sink, right? And so now they've got all these fish, but Peter, in the midst of all that, he knows immediately this is Jesus, and so he just jumps out of the boat, and he just takes off to get to Jesus, all right? And so when he gets to Jesus, this is what happens. Uh, Jesus has got a little fire going. He's got a little breakfast cooking, because everybody loves fish for breakfast on an open fire. And it says in verse 15, Of John chapter 21. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to them, you know I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time, Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. I assure you that when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to signify by what kind of death He would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. Now, I don't know about you guys, but maybe you have some friends. Maybe it's not you, but you have some friends who they they talk and they act before they think. Anybody have any friends like that? Uh, Peter is the epitome of this, right? Throughout the, the gospel accounts, we find Peter regularly acting and even saying things without thinking about it. And it's easy to kind of pick on Peter, but a lot of us in this room can identify with having made decisions or in particular circumstances, or maybe you have a pattern in your life of acting or talking without thinking about it. And so when we look at Peter's life, you see this consistent pattern of him doing this. And I think it's why I can identify with Peter and I can identify with some of his struggles. But in order to understand what's just happened in this scene, I want us to go back to the beginning with Peter. Peter was... Uh, in Luke chapter 5, and by the way, I'm going to write some of these um, sections of, of Scripture out on the screen for you. They're, they're available. And I encourage you this week to read them and to actually under, unearth some of the story that's behind 
what's going on, because I'm going to have to summarize them for the sake of our time. We're not going to read all of them together. But in Luke chapter 5, we find uh, Peter being called to be one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, what's going on there is Jesus is teaching the crowds of people, and they're so excited about Jesus' teaching that they're pressing in on him. And as they press in on Jesus, he's being pushed back into the water. So literally, He's there, and there's some, other, there's some fishing boats along the shore. And he says, hey, can I get in your boat? He gets in, in Peter's boat. He says, push out away from the shore. So he does, and he preaches the rest of his, his sermon. He gives some teaching from a boat to this crowd that's on the shore. You, you see the image? You see the picture what's going on? And so as he's preaching this, this message, Peter's sitting there listening to him. And you've got to be thinking, I mean, anyone who heard Jesus teach was like in awe. He was, he was full of the Spirit. He had such a power, and he had such an, an impact with his teaching. And so Peter's listening to this. And then as he finishes up teaching, he looks at these fishermen and he says, hey, why don't you guys throw your nets on the other side of the boat? And so they do. And what happens? They have this massive haul of fish, okay? And they get all these fish in their nets until they're super excited. It's, all, it's great. But notice what happens. If you've, if you've read this story before, maybe you already know this. But Peter literally falls down on his knees and he says, I am a sinful man. Get away from me. This is what he says to Jesus. Now, I just want to say something about that really quickly. First, this, that the closer that you get to Jesus, the closer that you get to God, the more sensitive you're going to be and aware of your sin. The more aware you're going to be of your shortcomings and the more aware you're going to be of your failures. And I want you to know that even the most committed people, even the most committed followers of Jesus fail him. Even those who really, really say they love him and who are committed to following him, even those people fail him. But Peter in this moment, he's never even, you know, really had much context with Jesus. And in that moment, he's close to Jesus and he recognizes his need. And he recognizes his sin. And he says, get away from me. I am a messed up man. But Jesus doesn't get away from him. In fact, what it says is that they get to the shore and he says, Peter, I want you to come follow me. And Peter, along with the other fishermen that are with him, they follow Jesus. They leave their nets. They just had the biggest haul of fish ever, right? And yet they leave their nets and they follow Jesus. Pretty incredible faith. Now, the other thing I want to note here, just because I think this is significant, is Jesus doesn't call people who are already fixed up, who have it all together and have it all figured out. Have you noticed that Peter's a fisherman, And we don't know a ton about him specifically before this situation, but we do know that fishermen weren't exactly the most godly people. They probably weren't the the most uh, likely to be called to be a disciple of a rabbi. And yet Jesus calls Peter out. And for us in here today, maybe that gives you some hope. You know, like you maybe feel like I don't fit. I can't can't be a follower of Jesus. I can't be around uh, the things of God. Or maybe I just, I don't feel worthy. Listen, Peter could have been in that same boat. And in fact, he even articulates that feeling of unworthiness and said, Jesus says, come follow me. That's encouraging, isn't it? He invites all of us to come and follow him. He's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for willing people. He's not looking for people who have it all figured out, but people will humble themselves and follow him. So Peter is now called to be his disciple and he's following Jesus. And things are going pretty well. He's hearing Jesus' teaching He's enjoying a front row seat to what all the the miracles and the ministry that Jesus is doing. It's incredible. And he has some successes. And one of the successes that we see in Peter's life, I'm just going to mention two of his big successes, in essence, that we would go, wow, this is pretty incredible, uh, is one, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 through 33, we get this story where the disciples, again, were with Jesus. He had been teaching, and he says, we're going to go out in a boat. He, He actually sends them out on the boat. 
He stays in the story. He says, I'm going to go pray. And they're out there in the middle of this, this lake, and the wind and the waves start to pound them. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, I mean, anybody else, you have been woken, been woken up at middle, in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning, and you're like kind of foggy and kind of figuring out what's going on. This just happened to us uh, two nights ago. Uh, we had a, a, ch- a call in the middle of the night, and it's like, I'm kind of thinking, I don't know if I'm awake yet. Here's 3 o'clock in the morning, and they look up, and there's this figure walking towards them on the water. And they think it's a ghost, and they're kind of freaking out. And it says that Jesus calls out to them, and he says, men, uh, it's me. And Peter says, well, if it's you, then call me out on the water. And Jesus says, come on. And so Peter gets out of the boat, and he starts walking on water. Now, I don't think anybody else in here could claim to have done that, right? I would say that's pretty awesome that he is getting the opportunity to get out of a boat and walk on the water. Now, we know that he took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink. But just for a second, he got to do what no other human being had ever done, which was to walk on the water because he had this faith to get out of the boat. So Peter had some successes. Another place we see Peter succeed is that it comes to a place in in, uh, Christ's ministry where he's making sure that they understand fully who he is. In fact, a few weeks ago, Right here, we talked about how that Peter was uh, in the conversation with Jesus when he says, who do people say that I am? And there was some discussion about it, but Peter ultimately said what? You are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. He nails it. He declares that Christ is who we know him to be, which is the Son of God, the Messiah. And so Peter is accurate in his confession, and Jesus even praises them and says, you know, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter, but my Father revealed that to you, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church. So that's a pretty significant statement that's made to Peter. He succeeds, right? He's, he's confessed who Christ is, and Christ says, I'm going to use that confession, who I am, I'm going to establish my church upon that. So way to go, Peter. It's exciting. It's encouraging. Now, in both of those stories, what's interesting is that God promises to do something for Peter. God promises to help him as he gets out of the boat and he walks on the water. And then God promises he's going to, what? Build his church. And in both of those situations, God fulfills his promise. But then we come to a story of Peter's failure. And I think this is important because, as I said last week, maybe we don't identify with the adulterous woman. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't identify with Zacchaeus. But some of us have been in church or been around God or been around people of God or been around this religion thing uh, for a long time. And maybe we still struggle when we fail, when we mess up, when we blow it. We don't know what to do with that. Alex alluded to this earlier, that even the, the, the guilt and the shame that can overcome Christians uh, can, limit, can, can, can hurt us in our desire to worship God. We can feel like we're, we're not worthy to worship God. And I want to talk about this, this piece of failure because I think for some of us in this room, we're struggling today with failures that we've had. And I want you to know that there is hope, that there is fresh starts, and there's do-overs for those of us who've been around Jesus, who've been trying to walk with Jesus and failing at times. Because as I said a while ago, even the most committed followers of Jesus fail to follow Jesus perfectly. So in John 13, 36 through 4, we get this picture where Jesus predicts Peter's denial. And I think this is important to understanding Peter's failure because, as I said, in the other two successes, God promises to do something for Peter, and he does it. But notice what happens in this situation. Jesus predicts his denial by saying, I'm going to be arrested, 
I'm going to be taken away, and they're going to do these things to me, uh, and, and they're not going to be good things. They're going to, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to go be treated unjustly, and they're going, to, they're going to kill me. And Peter pops up, and he says, no, they're not. It's not going to happen, you know. But also, he says to them, and when that happens, you're going to fall away. You're going to abandon me. You're going to desert me. And Peter says, no way. Never would I desert you, Jesus. Anybody in here ever said, I will never stop following you, God. I will do exactly what you say. I will follow you. I will trust you. Ever had a moment where you're just like making these promises to God? God, I will never go back to that sin again. I will never do this again. I will never do that again. I've been there. I've been in moments in my life where I felt like God was moving. I'm like, I'm never doing that again. And then struggle with it the next day. And Peter in this situation, he says, I, am, I would never abandon you. And Jesus says, yes, you will. And he says, listen, even if everyone else walks away from you, I will not walk away from you. What is he saying in that moment? He's saying, listen, no one loves you like I do, Jesus. You ever felt that way? No one, no one really loves you like I do. Even if everybody else walks away, even if everybody else abandons you, I won't do that. Now, as I said, notice before Jesus has promised things to Peter, but who's promising now? Peter's promising, right? He's saying, I won't do this. Well, we know where this is headed, don't we? If you've read the scripture, you know the story. In Matthew chapter 16, I'm sorry, John chapter 18, verse 15 through 27, we find the story of of Peter denying Jesus three times. Jesus is one of the most difficult moments of his life. He's been arrested, and now, as he's dealing with an unfair, unjust trial, he's struggling through the hardships of that, and Peter's following at a distance. He's kind of keeping his distance. He's staying in the shadows, because why? Because he knows he doesn't, if they find him, if they see him, they're going to pull him in, and he's going he's to be in the same predicament that Jesus is. And so he's been staying. In fact, it even says he's outside, and he's around a fire, kind of staying warm. And people start to say, hey, weren't you with Jesus? W- weren't you with him? And what does he say? I don't know him. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't with him. In fact, three different times, he literally denies Jesus straight up. And in the account that's in John, what's so powerful is it says that uh, he denies Christ the third time and that Jesus looks at him. Somehow in the midst of this crazy scene, Jesus turns and he sees Peter. Can you imagine what that had to be like? Have you ever talked with someone who was really godly, really spiritually uh, like in tune, and that you just felt like they were looking into your soul? I mean, you're like, don't look at me, right? You ever been there? You ever felt like, just don't even, I don't even want to see, because you just feel like they're looking through. They see what's really going on. They have such discernment. Can you imagine looking into the eyes of Jesus after you had betrayed him three times when he predicted it and you promised you wouldn't? I bet he felt like this tall, right? I bet he's just thinking, oh my goodness. The rooster crows just like Jesus said it would, and he is brought to his senses, and he realizes just what he's done. Listen, some of us in this room, you feel the weight of that right now. You've been there. You feel like you've promised God, I will do this in my marriage. I will do this with my finances. I will do this with my life. I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go, and then you blow it. You fail him. You come on a Sunday and God's saying something to you and you're like, man, God, I will do this for you. And I want you to know that Christianity is not a religion of us doing stuff for God. Do you you understand? We've got to be very careful here. Anything and everything that we do as a follower of Christ is a response to what he has done for us. 
But in this moment, Peter fails his Savior. He fails his friend. I mean, Peter was one of the inner circle. He knew Jesus the closest. He was G- Peter, James, and John. They were with Jesus in all these different moments. And listen, close proximity to Jesus does not equal the ability to overcome temptations and trials and struggles. Just because you're close in proximity doesn't mean that you can overcome these things on your own, does it? And so Peter fails. Isn't it interesting how the pressure and pain of life reveals what's really going on in our hearts? Um, can, I, can I just be honest with you guys this morning about something I think that's it's really significant for us? It's, it's pretty easy to be a Christian in this room. It's pretty easy to be a Christ follower, put it that way, in this room. Because we're singing songs about Christ, we're, we're talking about Christ, and we, we're gathered to say we're a church. But if you're like me, when the pressures and the pain of life weigh down on you, the things that I confess with my mouth can be very difficult to live out. And in this moment, you find Peter, and this is why I identify with him, right? Because I know his heart was to not deny his Savior. He loved Jesus. And yet in this moment, the crucible, it, 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 it begins to heat up, and life begins to weigh down on him, and he's thinking about, man, if I get caught with Jesus, I'm going to get killed. And in that moment, the pain of life and the pressure of what was going on caused what was really in his heart, his real beliefs and his real struggles to come out. Now again, it's easy for me to kind of throw rocks at Peter. But I can identify with that because there's times where struggles and, and difficulties and hardships can push out the worst in me. But aren't you thankful that in our worst, God still loves us? He still moves toward us. He is still gracious. We need to acknowledge that that stuff's there, that that junk is in our lives, and that we don't always live out what we say we believe. We need to acknowledge that. That's sinful. It's, 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 it's wicked, it's, it's, it's rebellion to God, right? It's, it's hurtful. And yet, we need to also embrace the fact that he comes to us in that, because he knows. In fact, you remember the story when we started out reading it. It says, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. And then he does this two more times. Now, I think it's interesting that in this scene, you've got them fishing again. So where was Peter called? When he was in a boat fishing, right? Here they are back in a situation where they're in the boat and they're fishing. When did Peter deny Christ? He was around a fire, sitting outside of the trial of Jesus. Where are they at now? They're around a fire, sitting there having this conversation I think this is not by accident. The scene is set. Jesus knows what he's trying to do here. And then notice he asks him how many times? Three times. What's the significance? Well, how many times did he deny him? Three times. Now, you may be feeling like, hey, Jesus, like, you're being a little hard on Peter, aren't you? Three times? Because honestly, what he's saying when he says, do you love me, is he's saying to Peter, Peter, you failed me. You said you wouldn't, but you failed me. And it seems almost as if he's like putting the knife in and then turning it. But really what Jesus is saying in that moment is, yeah, he is wanting Peter to feel the weight of it, but he's not the knife of a murderer. It's the knife of a surgeon. 
And he is trying to expose what's going on in Peter's heart. He's trying to make absolutely certain that Peter understands not only what he's done, but to counteract that, that even because of what he's done, he can still have hope and he can still be restored. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, notice what's his response each time. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. And he gives him a job. He says, feed my lambs. In fact, in the second time, he actually says, shepherd my sheep. What is, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying to him, Peter, even though you failed me, I can still use you. Not only that, but the idea of shepherding, I'm giving you a position of leadership. I'm giving you a position of responsibility. Now, my guess in this room is that if you're leading an organization, you're leading, a, uh, leading something, that you probably wouldn't pick the person who abandoned you in your worst moment to be your leader. My guess, Right? Like when we, when we try to look for people to, to lead uh, in ministry or to lead things for us or wherever it is that you're leading, you're probably looking for people who've been faithful, right? Been faithful with the things that they, that they were supposed to do. Uh, they followed through. They took on a task. But notice what's happening in this story. Again, this is a way that Jesus is so different than us. He says, in spite of the fact that you failed me in my darkest hour, I'm still going to give you responsibility and leadership. In fact, he would say, I believe, that he was preparing Peter for the ministry he had for him through this restoration process. Because the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus turns failure into an opportunity for deeper intimacy with him and a greater ministry for him. That's grace at work in our lives. That's grace at work in our hearts. Let me break that apart just a little bit. Jesus turns failures into an opportunity for deeper intimacy. Jesus is really showing Peter, like I said a while ago, that even when you are unloving towards me, I still love you. Now, let me make this, um, I guess, statement here. Our goal shouldn't be to go mess it up a bunch so that we can experience God's love more. <laughs> Woohoo! If I, I can experience God's love more if I mess it up a lot, right? If I rebel a lot, well, then I'll get to experience God's grace. That's not how it works, okay? Don't do that. You're going to go through a lot of pain. You're going to go through a lot of hardship. But here's what I, what I would say, is that when you do blow it, and you will, when you blow it, there is something about knowing, again, that God is gracious and forgiving and merciful that causes us to love him more. In fact, Jesus says in another place in the text, he says that those who have been forgiven much, what? Love much. And he's talking about a woman who had been caught in sin as well and was, had struggled and Jesus had healed her. And she comes in and she busts this alabaster jar of perfume and she washes Jesus' feet with her hair. And, and the people are trying to, they're freaking out. And they're trying to figure out what she's doing and why she's doing it. And he says in, to, to that crowd, he says, listen, he who's been forgiven much loves much. But in our lives, when we fail, it's an opportunity for deep, deeper intimacy with God. It's an opportunity, meaning that it's not automatic because sometimes we run away from God instead of to God. And some of you may be running from him today. But when we run to him, we have the opportunity to experience a deeper intimacy, a deeper relationship, an understanding that no matter what we can do, we cannot make God stop loving us. Um, every night before our kids go to bed, uh, which if you've ever been to the shock house, you know it's, it's like a carnival. It's like crazy. It's, it's a fiasco, right? We've got all these kids running around. We're trying to get them to bed. And, and um, it's, it's, always, it's always fun. I love, I, love, I love my children, but that time of day is very difficult to love my children, okay? I'm just going to be honest. 
And we're trying to get them ready for bed. But one of the things that we always say to our kids right before bedtime, uh, I've tried to be consistent in this through the years, is I look at them and I say, I want you to know there's nothing you could ever do to make me love you less. I love you, and there's nothing you could ever do to make me love you less. Now, I'll be honest. As a dad, there are moments where I probably love them less. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I'm human, okay? I, but I strive to say, I want them to know. I want to build that into their lives. Okay, Emery, she, she's in. I mean it, okay? There's nothing you could ever do to make me love you less. And I want, I want our children to know that no matter what they, how they perform, no matter how they struggle with obedience, that I'm still going to love them. But here's the good thing is, even though I'm imperfect in that, when our Heavenly Father says there's nothing you could ever do to make me love you less, it's true, isn't it? It's true. We need to hold on to that. We need to know that. There's nothing we could ever do because His love was declared for us once and for all at the cross. His love was declared at the cross. The ultimate act of love where He laid down His life for us. It's incredible that He would do that. But not only do we have deeper intimacy with him, we have greater ministry for him. How many of you would say that God, if you've been walking with God for a while, has redeemed your past mistakes and failures? How many of you have seen how God has given you the ability to understand and minister to others through your past mistakes and failures? That's God's grace, isn't it? That we blow it, and yet God can still use that to help others. Not only that, but we see how even in this idea where Peter's given leadership— he has grace for those who are going to struggle to follow through. In, in, in his ministry later on, we know that God did do incredible things through Peter. That Peter was the first one to get, stand up and proclaim at Pentecost that Christ was the Son of God. And all the people were cut to the heart. And thousands of people came to faith in Jesus. God used that Peter. At the, the same one that denied Christ was used powerfully by Christ. Incredible, right? But we also know that later on in the book of First and Second Peter, Peter is directly addressing a crowd of people who are suffering. They're going through hardship. They're dealing with pain. Could anybody speak to that and have anything wise to say about that? Absolutely, Peter could because he knew what it was like in the pressure moment to fail his Savior. And he says to them, he says, listen, don't give up. You will suffer for a little while, but God will restore you. He will establish you. He will work in you and through you. And he could speak with that, speak to that with, with credibility because he had been there. He'd been in the crucible before. We must run with our failures to the grace of God. We must take them, and, and as one uh, man I read this week said, he said, we need to plunge our failures into the grace of God. And it's in doing that that we find our ministry. We find opportunities for God to, to use us in the lives of others. I've heard people who've out, overcome addiction. I've heard people who've overcome marriage struggle. I've heard people that have overcome uh, all kinds of sin and that God is using now. That is his grace but here's the thing, only when we realize that we are a complete moral failure and mess, only when we get to that point can then we plunge that, that failure into God's grace and find that there is power to be used to serve others, that there is grace to be served to serve others. In fact, that's when we become more loving, more wise, per merciful, compassionate, gracious, all those things to other people. It's through our mistakes and receiving from God his grace in the midst of that. So the question that I want us to, to land on today is how do we experience a reconciled relation to, relationship to Jesus? Um, Peter actually got to have a conversation. It was pretty incredible. He got to have a conversation. He fails Jesus. He actually gets a face-to-face -face with Jesus to go through the process of being restored and reconciled. But for us, what do we do? Where do we go? 
Well, I want to go back to what verse 18 says in John chapter 21. It's a little bit cryptic, but if you, if you pay attention, you kind of notice Jesus is saying something to Peter that I think applies for us today. Here's what he says, verse 18. I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. So when you were young, you kind of got to do whatever you wanted, Peter. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And he said this to signify by what kind of death he would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. What, what is Jesus saying to Peter? Well, he says, Peter, when you're young, you have to do whatever you want. But now when you're old, you're going to hold out your arms. You're not going to get to direct what you want to do. People are going to hurt you, basically. They're going to tie you up. They're going to carry you where you don't want to go. And in that, we kind of get this idea that, number one, in order to do ministry to others, we have to open ourselves up to them. And Peter understood this because Jesus opened himself up to a group of men, the disciples, and in doing that, you're vulnerable. Would you agree? Incredible place of vulnerability. In fact, I would say there's no one who can hurt you more deeply than the person that loves you the most and that you love the most. That's why a spouse, the wounds that come from a spouse are so deep and so painful because you're vulnerable in that position. And, and Jesus says to Peter, you're going to open your arms. And when you do, people are going to hurt you. Just like when I open my arms, people hurt me. But it wasn't just opening your arms to love people in that way. He was actually alluding to what? The cross. That when your arms are open wide, people can hurt you. And Jesus speak, spoke to this with great wisdom and insight because he had just come from the cross, hadn't he? where he opened his arms so that humanity can be reconciled to himself. What's the point? The same way that Peter is reconciled is the same way we are reconciled. And that is through the cross of Christ. Through Christ saying, I'm going to open my arms to you, even though you can hurt me, even though you can disobey me, even though you can choose to rebel against me, even though you can choose to, to not follow me, I'm going to open my arms to you. And it's the most vulnerable place that he could be. But Christ chose to do that because of his great love for us. And he's saying to Peter, you will have a powerful ministry, but your ministry is also going to bring you down a place, a path of pain and struggle and hardship. But here's what I know to be true. That the more we recognize that Jesus is opening his arms to us, the more we have the capacity to open our arms to others. That as we are reconciled to Christ, through the relationship with Christ, through the work that Jesus did on the cross, then we have the opportunity to become ministers of reconciliation to others and to love others and to serve others and to care for them, to hurt them. We know this is interesting because Peter, according to history, actually did go to the cross. He actually had his own cross. And Tertullian writes about Peter that when Peter was crucified, that he didn't, want to be crucified like Jesus, and he actually requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he was worthy to be killed in the same manner that Jesus was. That's not the same guy that denied Jesus three times, is it? It's not the same guy that said, I'll do this, and then he didn't. It's a completely different guy. What changed? What changed is the grace of God. What changed is that Peter understood that his promises were empty, but God's promises were eternal and faithful. 
hope and life and salvation isn't found in our ability to meet up to our own standards or to measure up to other people around us, but only in the person of Christ. So some of you, let me just make this practical again. Some of you today have been Christians for a long time, and you feel like your failures have kept you or, and are keeping you from ministering to others. Some of you are in the pressures of life, the pain of life, and what's come out has not been good. And I want you to know that wherever you are, Christ opens his arms to you today. That Christ opens his heart to you in love, and he says, listen, there's a second chance. There's a fresh start. This thing that is so bad, it's so wicked, so, so painful, I can redeem that. Because that's our God. He's a God of redemption. He's a God of do-overs. He's a God of second chances. Our promises are empty, but God's promises are full and faithful and true. Let me pray for us.